My son is Stephen Welch. Some of you remember him. And I, for the last four or five days, I've been taking care of Van. Now, that's Stephen's little boy. And as Stephen and Danina left for Washington, they said, Now, Mom, Van's very easy to get along with. Well, yeah, he was easy to get along with if you never crossed him. So it's been quite interesting. I had all three granddaughters and Van, and we had a good time. But, uh, Stephen, I just want to say we don't want to just go on and on about our admiration for each other. But Brother and Sister Newby, I love them so much. They have a good name. They have a good name. Uh, you know, our name is everything to us. And um, he's, he's served faithfully. And I always knew, in the, I've been in the women's department 11 years, and I knew I had one person in my corner, if not anybody else, Brother Newby, would be there for me. I knew that. And sometimes I just whisper in his ear, now this is what I'm wanting. <laughs> he never promised me anything, but I usually got what I wanted. No, I'm just teasing. But he, the women's department is, it is making a difference in the world. Let me tell you, we're, doing, we're making a difference this year, uh, we have projects every year. This year, I don't know if you're familiar and seen on TV about the little albino children that are hunted down. They literally take them out of their uh, parents' arms in uh, Tanzania because the witch doctors use their body parts for uh, witchcraft and things. And their body, one little child can be worth thousands of dollars. And we, I went to the albino school in January and visited the school, and there was a little girl there with no arm because they had cut her arm off before her mother could get her away from there. And we're helping them. You know, everything that we do and everything you do at, Cro at Crown Point should point to the cross. Everything we do, not only do we help those little children and they're in that safe environment where they won't be, people won't take them and kill them, but they can also know about Jesus Christ. And we were also in Tanzania doing a conference for the superintendent of Tanzania. Revival's out breaking there. They've got revival and... We have a, a room at the uh, district office where the missionaries come and shop free. We just love to do things for our missionaries. And you know what? There's always been enough. God is, is the provider. And I enjoy talking to your ladies tonight. I can see as I talked with them, I'm around women all the time. I could see in the hearts and I could see through their eyes into their hearts that they want to do more for the Lord. And so when they do this, you get behind them, okay? Our uh, theme this year, oh, I'm so thankful for Gideon Bibles. How many of you are? My cute little zebra bag with my Bible in it is missing. <laughs> and I got to the hotel and I thought, where is it? At least I have my message. But thank the Lord there was a Gideon Bible in the drawer. Because I do not get up and speak without. I speak off my iPad a lot, but I still have my Bible there. I think you should have your Bible. But our theme for this year is God's love revealed. How many of you can remember times in your life when God lavished his love upon you? I tell you what, I felt lavished on tonight through that praise and worship. I can tell you, God touched me. If, if I could go home now, Brother Newby, I would have been touched by God. Hallelujah. Because I felt as they ministered, I felt God speaking to my heart and giving, you know, encouraging me in my heart. And let me tell you, we're in a different church every weekend, and it's not fun. Not every church has church like this. Sometimes when Stan and I leave a, a service in a community, we think, thank the Lord we don't live here because God would tell us we had to go here. You know what I'm saying? It's sad, but it's true. But my goodness, this is Wednesday night, and God's presence is here, and you've come and sacrificed of your time 
to honor the king, and that's important. And sometimes God lavishes his love on us. And 1 John 3, 1 says, what great love the Father has lavished on us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as I told these precious people, I am thankful for your presence that I feel here tonight. I would not want to live a day without it. I thank you for that. And I pray that everything that's said and done tonight would glorify you. And we feel you here. You're here. Your anointing's here. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. First of all, God's love is revealed to us through his forgiveness. How many of you are thankful for the forgiveness of God? One time, Stephen, my son, told me, he said, Mom, when you get to your age, you don't have any sin problem. <laughs> I thought, wow, I wish that was true. Does he really, it stands, does he really believe that? And I said, no, Stephen, when you turn 50, you don't have no sin problem anymore. The sin problem's always there, and God, and, but we have forgiveness. And I want to read the scripture. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Aren't you thankful for that? You know, what I've done in the past is in the past. What I've done is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I can be, I can stand with my head high, I can stand boldly and I can ask when I come before the throne room of God because of that forgiveness. And I'm thankful tonight for the forgiveness of God and that he's forgiven me. God's love revealed in how he values us. Now, the uh, Wired magazine tells us in a recent article that a body could be worth up to $45 million if it's breathing. Calculated by selling the bone marrow, the DNA, lungs, kidneys, hearts as components. But when we breathe our last breath, the world tells us that we're worth $160. Well, I'm so thankful. I have loved ones that think I'm more valuable than that, don't you? But that's what they tell us. But what does the word of God say? In 1 Peter, it says, For you know it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but from the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. We're valuable. We are valuable tonight. You're valuable. Our children and grandchildren are valuable to us because they belong to us. I'm valuable be to God because I belong to him. I'm as good as it gets for me. I mean, he knows me. And 1 John 3, 1 says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on you that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Do you know being a child of God is the highest privilege of our salvation? You know, my mom and dad and Stan's mom and dad have been ministers their whole life. They've been pastors, and they haven't made a whole lot of money. They really haven't. I know that. I don't expect any day when they, uh, my dad has passed away, but when they die, not, I won't have a big fortune like some people have an inheritance, but you know I have a heritage that they've taught me about Jesus Christ that means so much more than money, and I'm thankful for that. But I have a heavenly father that said he will supply my needs according to all that he has in heaven. And I can ask for that from him. Being a child of God is our base of our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ because we're a magnificent, one-of-a-kind work of art in progress. Now, I say that to my husband all the time, and his reply is, when are you going to be finished with this? When is God going to be finished with this work on you? And I tell him, I doubt if he ever will. He married me for better or for worse, so that's the way it is. But I'm thankful that God values me. You know, my, my value isn't what I look like on the outside, is it? What you look like on the outside. My value is my heart and what is on the inside. 
Love is revealed by God for the contentment that we feel in this journey of life. Contentment is a state of mind in which one's desires are confined to his lot, whatever it may be. Now, this is not a girly sermon, but I just have to say this because I deal with women all the time. There's uh, Women, there's always going to be someone prettier than you, someone with more money, someone with a bigger house or a better car or a better husband because you know how those women are. They brag on their husbands all the time like they're perfect, and we know they're not. But this is what happens. And one time I had a friend, and her name was Patty. Patty passed away a couple years ago at the age of 60 with a heart attack. But she was at our local church at Mansfield. And Patty's husband was the big contractor that went all over the world contracting and doing jobs. And my husband was the pastor. Patty's husband was rich. My husband was not. Do you all get that? (laughs) So one day I came home from being with Patty, and my husband sent me down. I, you know, I don't really like that. I, re- I kind of resented it at the time. And he said, Sherry, I just want to tell you something. Every time you come home from being with her, spending time with her, you're dissatisfied. I can feel it. I can feel a discontentment. And I said, oh, really? Is it because she, you know, does this and that? And, and so he said, you're going to have to make a decision if that friendship is worth that you want to keep it or if you want to just not be a friend to her anymore if you can't stand it because this is a spiritual problem. Do you believe contentment is a spiritual problem? It is. So I did think about it. I was aggravated at him at first, but I did think about it. I decided that the, that the friendship was worth me getting over it, you know, just getting over it and leaving it in the hands of the Lord because Patty lived out every dream I ever had, and she did it on purpose. I told her one day I'd love to have a little coffee shop and, you know, and you could witness to people and do all these things. The next thing I know, she has a coffee shop asking me to work in her coffee shop. <laughs> so I told her one day, I said, you know, I'd love to have a, a two-carat diamond ring before I die. And um, I said, I know Stan will never buy me one. And the next thing I know, what she have on her hand? A two-carat diamond ring. She, you know, she asked me if I wanted to try it on, and I said no because I just might want to keep it. So I told her I'd like to have a convertible. This was a span of time. This wasn't just overnight, all this. And, and she comes driving up in her convertible and asks me if I'd like to go for a ride. Well, you see why I was a little bit, you know, discontented with her. But when I decided that it was a spiritual problem, because you know what, I needed to be content with what God had given me. Ladies, you can make it really hard on your husbands if you're not content, because, you know, not every man's going to make... a year, $300,000 a year. They just don't have it in them to make it, and we make it hard on them. But I decided the friendship was worth it. And, you know, I was able, I I can remember one time going shopping with her. They were going on a trip to Europe, and I went shopping with her, and I was happy to help her pick out clothes. Patty's in heaven today, but, you know, it was worth it, that discontentment, when I realized that it was a spiritual problem because it didn't have anything to do with the circumstances. It had everything to do with my spiritual condition. And in Philippians 4.11, it says, Paul's saying here, I'm not saying this when I am need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And, you know, that's a trust factor. All God asks us, one day I was, one of those rare days I was home all day doing laundry, and I decided that day I was going to make, I was going to be a better person by the end of the day. So I listened to the uh, Christian radio of sermons. I listened to sermons all day. 
And every message said that all that God asks us to do is to trust him, to put our faith in that he will take care of us. God's love is revealed through compassion. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God gave, forgave you. And I'm thankful for the compassion that God had for me. Uh, uh, compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Now, we have our retreats, and the women come, and they hear all about our missions projects, and they're touched by them usually that day. But it never fails that when I get back to the office when the retreat's over, someone will call me and say, I just got it caught up in the moment, and I don't, there's no in the w way in the world we can raise $1,000. So I tell them it's okay. I know that it was touching and it touched your heart, but I'll pray that God will supply the need for you. And compassion is wanting to do so, uh, is hard because it, re it requires us the inner discipline to go with others to a place where they're weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. And that is the truth. I have another friend, Pat. I, you, if your name's Pat, you won't want to be my friend because this Pat passed away too. But she was in our church in Mansfield, and she found out uh, she had bone cancer. And she was a rough woman. She come from, oh, Lord, she tried to tell me stories, and I finally said, you're going to have to have someone else to tell these stories to because I can't handle it. I was, I've been, I, have, I don't get out in the world much, and you're shocking me. She knew she shocked me, and she'd laugh about it. But I, she found out she had bone cancer, and she came to my house that day right after she talked to the doctor. And she said, I want to know, in her pat way, she said, I want to know, are you going to be there for me or not? Well, as I thought about it, I knew what she was expecting. She was wanting me to go through this illness with her and uh, be there for her. And I, I, I told her, I didn't answer that day because I knew what that entailed. And as I prayed, I told the Lord, I said, you know what, she has better friends than me. She has a best friend. She, I'm just the pastor's wife. She's got deacon's wives and children's church leaders' wives and all these that are better friends. But I felt that God wanted me to, and I told her yes. And I went through that journey with her. Prayed for her the whole time that God would heal her, but he didn't. And I'll never forget, as she laid on that bed the last night before she passed away, and she said to the doctor, is there anything I can do to live? And he told her no, without a miracle. And, you know, when she passed away, she went to heaven. She's in a better place. But I would not take back the time that I spent with her, the time that she would call in the middle of the night and say, I'm dying. I'm going to die right now. You have to come over. Times that I couldn't handle it, and I'd turn the, uh, give the phone to the pastor. I felt it was the pastor's turn to pray. <laughs> but, you know, when you, with true compassion, when people get up and they testify and they say, and they have a prayer request and they say, I need you to pray for this, True compassion will go to that person when church is over and say, I'm going to pray with you. Not forget to pray with them, but sometimes you're, you're expected to go on that journey with them, and that's, that's what God expects us to do. He had compassion on us, and we must have compassion on others. God's re, uh, love is revealed through his presence that we feel with, with, with us each day, his presence that I feel here tonight. You know, he's a personable God. He's very personable. And I, um, I'm not a person to take my Bible and just shuffle through it and let it open to something. How many of you have had that to happen? Not me. When I tried that, it went to like the, the chapters in the Bible. You couldn't even pronounce people's names. 
or it was something quite awful. And it might happen. I believe in those things happening. I really do. But it never happened to me. So I don't even try it. I don't do it. You know, it always opens to the same scripture because for some reason. But God said in Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And I can remember, I last year I had a, um, you know, I had a bad experience in my life. I, I, I was devastated. I really was, I can tell you that. And I didn't think, I, there was times I didn't think I'd ever get over it. And I won't go into that story because God has done many, many things for me since then. But, you know, I can tell you tonight that we have a God that loves you and that he works with you. Because that's been a long time ago and just recently. Because, you know, when we're hurt or when things happen in our life that's not fair, we can say it's not fair, life is not fair. It, you know, we think we have control and we think we're doing good, and then all of a sudden it hits us in the face, right? So we were at a church uh, ministering in Clinton, Missouri, uh, probably a month ago. And I was having a bad, that Sunday, I don't know why I was having a bad day, but all this came washing all over me again. And, um, and I, you know, I was whining. How many of you whine? Yeah, we all whine sometimes. And, and I'm telling you, this will prove to you that God knows that we can whine sometimes. And he's not going to strike us down from heaven. But I, we were sitting in the, uh, the pastor said, let's meet at Applebee's. So Stan and I went to Applebee's. We were in the restaurant ready to have lunch. Pastor didn't show up. And all of a sudden he calls and he says, where are you? And we said, well, you told us to go to Applebee's. And he said, oh, I meant the Mexican place. So we left there. You know, normally a pastor would have said, well, I'll come to you, right, Brother Newby? That's what you would have done. But we get to the restaurant. Half of the church is there. Half of the, another church, Assembly of God church, is there. And we're sitting with the pastor. And this young woman comes up to the table. And I didn't know her. And she said, I just want to tell you how I happened to be here today. She was from Kansas City. She told us, it's too long of a story to tell you tonight, but she told us how she happened to be at the Mexican restaurant, which is, was amazing. And, you know, stands over there thinking, this woman's crazy. What in the world's going to come out of her mouth next? And she said, God told me as I was praying on the way down here today that I was going to have a divine appointment. And he told me what I was going to say to you. And when you walk through that door, you are my divine appointment. Well, let me tell you what crossed my mind really quick is what if, you, if you've done anything, this whole church is going to know, plus the pastor and his wife. <laughs> so I'm thinking, what is she going to say? Well, probably seven days, a week before this, I told Stan, I said, there's this one word, and I won't say it to protect the innocent, but I, there was this one word. I said, this is the word that sums up how I feel right now in my life. And, as you know, Stan didn't say much. And this woman said to me these words. She said, God wants you to know that you are feeling. And she said this word. He wants you to know that man's decision sometimes, may, um, in the end, it controls what happens in our life, is what she said. I don't want to say it all out. I'm trying to paraphrase what she said. But when she said that one word that I'd said to my husband a week before, we set up a little straighter. My husband started, I mean, his eyes were tearing because he knew this woman had been sent from God. Now, did I deserve that? Probably not. It's been a long time. It's been months. I should get over it, right? And God has given me scripture, the same scripture so many times that 
uh, the last two people that's given it to me, I read it off my iPhone, and I said, I know what you're going to give it to me. Uh, Arlene Allen came in the office recently, and she said, God gave me a scripture for you, and I said, let me read it to you. She said, that's it. Well, you can say you're hard-headed. God has to speak to you. When the day was over, Stan said, well, why are you so special? And I said, because I'm so needy, I guess. But let me tell you, that should tell you tonight that God loves me, but he doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He deals with me. He has given me people to come into my life. When that lady came that day, she was a, she was a representative of God, wasn't she? She said that one word, there's no way that word would have come out of her mouth. No way. We're sitting there trying to eat Mexican food after that, crying, both of us, because I'm just broken. And I told the Lord that day, I said, I'm going to do better. I'm going to make you proud of me because I know that you are more than enough. Do you know that tonight? He's a personal God. And as I commune with him tonight, as I sat in that seat by his sister Nubi that I love so much, his presence renewed my body. I haven't been feeling very good. And I felt renewed in my spirit. And it's a personal God, a God that you can call on, a God that doesn't say, Sherry, shame on you. How many times do I have to give you the same scripture? Why do I have to send a woman from Kansas City, Missouri, to speak a word into your life? I should be enough. When you should read the Bible. You should read my word and trust me. But you know what? He loved me anyway, and he did it for me. And I'm thankful. And he'll do that for you. Sometimes you've got to ask him, God, I need a word. I'm desperate. Do you feel that way? There's times through this time of my hard time that I call my hard time that I've had that I haven't felt God at all. That's when I, by faith, I know you're there. I know you love me and I know you're there. And I don't feel you right now because I'm hurting too bad, but I know you're there and I know you're looking out for me. And that's tonight. I want you to know that because he is a God that will never leave us. He said he would never forsake us. He said that he is the best friend that we'll ever have. Do you know that? I'm thankful that he's my good friend. It's important to communicate with him. It's important to know his voice. When I was growing up, I don't remember what cartoon it was, but there was a little devil on this shoulder, you remember? And then the little angel would be over here, and the devil would be talking in the ear, and the angel talking in the other. That is so true. It's so funny, but isn't it true? There's voices that talk to us. Now, when my cell phone rings, and Stan says, I never have my cell phone on. I don't believe it, but he says, I never answer my phone. But when I answer my phone, and he says, how are you doing, honey? And I say, who is this? I'm going to be in big trouble, you think? Because he expects me to know his voice. And I do know his voice. Our ability to recognize one another's voices is directly tied to the depth of our relationship. My husband clears his throat, Brother Numi. I know you know that. He scares me to death after 36 years of marriage. When he clears his voice, I just it just sometimes scares me. If he's in a room of a 1,000 men, I know where he is. I can track him down because I know that clearing of his voice. And I know his voice. The closer and more intimate our relationship was, is with God, the easier it is to recognize his voice. Now, let me tell you, there's times in my life that I have known God wanted me to do things. Now, I don't know if you remember this, Brother Newby, but when um, the position came open, for, when Linda resigned and the position came open that I'm in now, I knew a year before that that is what God wanted me to do. I, I really thought that. And then the superintendent at that time told me, well, you know, I've already promised this, this to this other lady. I thought, oh, well, 
you know, maybe I didn't hear God good enough. You know, maybe he didn't speak clear enough. But I went home and I prayed and I thought, you know what? God told me this and I've been trying to prepare myself. I've been doing things that I think would help me to be a better leader when I go into that position. I don't think this happens all the time, but with me it happened. And you know what? That woman, well, the night before she was going to say yes to you guys, she said she woke up in a cold sweat. And she said, God, I can't do this. I'm not qualified to do this. I can't do this. So they, they hired me. But see, I knew that. But if I'd listened to the wrong voices, I'd listened to the people that said, hey, you know, he's got this all said, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen like this. But my son-in-law, he told me that day, he said, Sherry, you told me. I hadn't told people. It was something you don't tell people. You don't tell people those things. But I told my family, and he said, you told me God told you, and God doesn't change his mind. So I took his word. I was encouraged. You guys are going to think I have no faith at all, aren't you, when I'm done with this sermon? But I took his word, and I was encouraged by that. And I thought it doesn't matter how many women he promised the job to or how many women are going to be interviewed for that. If God told me that, it's going to happen. And it did happen. But I'm telling you, there's wrong voices to listen. Don't listen to the wrong voice. When you're feeling discouraged and God's told you to do something for him, don't listen to those voices. Listen to the voice of God. Uh, John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, Jesus is telling us in this verse that he expects us to hear his voice and to know his voice. Being able to hear God is crucial to our walk with him, and I'm thankful for that. You know, with the love of God lavished on us, there's responsibility, and one of those responsibilities is to guard our heart. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Another version says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Now, your heart is who you are. It's what you are. When I was in Africa, I went to Africa the first time. I've been um, to Africa every year for 10 years. I've gone at least uh, ministering over there with the team. And the first year I was there, the story was told. We went to a tent camp. And the story was told of a, a young man that had come there alone. He had rented a car, and he had never seen lions the whole time he had been there. He had been there for a, like a week and didn't see lions. And that day, some people, it was his last day there, and some people came and told him, there's a pride of lions over here, and you need to go see him. So he got all ready to go. And now when you go to the bush of Africa, you go on a safari, there are rules to the game. The rules are you don't ever get out of a car. You don't stick your hands and your legs out of a car because they will, those animals will eat you. And uh, when you leave, you tell people where you're going. So if you have car trouble, they'll come and get you, and they'll do all those things. Well, this man knew the rules of the game. He went out to the Pride of Lions. He taped his video camera on the mirror. Now, this is a documented story. I'm not making this up. He uh, put his camera on the, the uh, mirror, and he had the video going. And you heard him honk the horn because it was the middle of the day. The lions were asleep under the bushes. And they sleep, I don't know, like 18 or 20 hours out of a day. They're, they're asleep most of the time. If they're awake, they're hungry, and you don't want to be around them anyway. But he did that, and then you could hear the door opening, and he was screaming at them and, and hitting on the car and doing all that. The next thing he was doing, he was in front of the car and showed him doing exercises, I think, like the jumping jacks and stuff, trying to wake them up. And they didn't wake up, so the next thing he did was go over and and hit one of them on the backside. 
Well, the man never came home, and the man never came home, and when they went to find him, there was his video camera tied to the mirror, but no, he was not there. And you can, you know, when you hear that story, when I heard that story, I thought, how stupid is that, that that man would do that? He knew the rules of the game. He knew what to do and what not to do. And the scripture tells us to be self-controlled in First Peter and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, as Christian people, we think we can get as far away from the covering of, of God as we can. And I tell you what, I want to be close to him. I believe tonight that we should be as close to him as we can be. And then we have that covering. If that man had stayed in the car and just decided and took pictures of the sleeping animals, his wife and children wouldn't have to be told that he's not coming home. But you see, that was dumb, but it's dumb for us to, to not live for God. Now, you guys come on Wednesday night. You're wonderful people. My husband, we loved Wednesday night service because we knew the people that came on Wednesday night wanted to be there. They wanted to be there, and you want to be there. But you know what? We have an enemy. It's not my mother-in-law. It's not my daughter-in-law. It's not my co-workers. It's not my peers. Our enemy is Satan himself. And he wants to destroy us. He wants to take our lives and he wants to ruin us. He doesn't want us to make heaven. I, t- I mean, I, when I talk to my little grandchildren and we talk about Jesus and we talk about the Bible and, and do all those things, I tell them, you know, you have an enemy and you want to stay close to Jesus because that, ne- that is what we want to do. We know the rules of the game. We have the Bible. We have the scripture that says to be alert, to be controlled, and know that the enemy is Satan himself. I want you to remember that God's love is revealed to you and that you're forgiven. I'm thankful tonight. I never go to sleep at night without thanking the Lord for forgiving of me and my sins. I never go to sleep because my mom taught me to do this without asking forgiveness of my sins. I still do that at my age, and I'm not telling you how old I am. I want you to remember that God's love is revealed in the way that he values you that you're special, you're one of a kind, and that he loves you so much. I want you to remember that the compassion that God feels for us is the same compassion that he expects us to feel for others. I shared with the women before church and told them about going to a church, and I sat probably the third seat back, and I sat in the middle, and this woman came in. She never spoke to me, but she kept moving me over and moving me over till there was no room for me anymore. So after church, I knew she would be coming to, when they introduced me, I told the ladies I looked at her, it was probably ugly of me, but I wanted to see how embarrassed she was, and she was. And all through church, I, was think, I wasn't listening to Stan's sermon, I was just thinking what I was going to say to that woman. So when church was over, I was very kind, but I did tell her that I could have been someone there that didn't know the Lord. I could have been someone that sent, their child had invited them, a first-time visitor, and she just, I had to move. I, I really had to move. But, I, but we need to know that we are special. God reveals his love also in the compassion that we feel as we feel compassion for each other. I love Star, Steinmart up here. How many of you ladies love Steinmart? Maybe some of you men do. That's my favorite store. Stan hates the store. So he drops me off at Steinmart on Roan Ridge Road, and he goes over to the car dealership. He's at the car dealership, and the guy says, um, "What tries to sell him a car, and Stan goes, you know what, I'm going to tell you the truth. My wife's in Steinmart, and she'll be there for hours. So I'm just over here killing time, and I'm going to look at trucks. And the guy goes, "What? I, I don't really want to sell a truck today. What I really need is a preacher. 
Stan said, well, you, this is your lucky day. <laughs> That's what I am. This man, was his life was messed up, and Stan was able to pray with him. And Stan said, I never had such compassion for anybody as I did that man that day. And he said, right in the middle of the car place, you know, everybody else is selling cars, and he's leading this man to the Lord. And this man, I think he's going to Assemblies of God Church today, living for God. He's got his life right. But, you know, it takes compassion to... Put yourself out there because most of us are too busy to ever even look at anybody. I go to Walmart. I'm the one that runs their cart so fast that you look, you look out for me because I might run over your toes. But I'm slowing down these days, and I'm telling people with a compassion that God wants. I want you to remember that God reveals his love by his personal relationship with you, that he's a personal God. You know, I, I tell my, I have two brothers that do not live for the Lord. And I tell them, you can, God is only, a, a, you can say Jesus, and there he is. He's your friend. You can talk to him. I was in New York recently going to the airport, and these days I'm looking for ways to tell people about the Lord. And the cab driver pulled up, and he was one of these rough, tough kind of guys, you know, and he was insulting me at every breath. And so anyway, uh, Rhonda and I were going, we were in the cab together, and I started talking about the Lord. I thought, what I wanted to do that day was to sit in the corner and hold on for dear life. If you've ever been in a cab in New York City, I thought I was going to die that day, so I did pray the sinner's prayer again. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the corner, and we're talking about the Lord, and, and Rhonda's kind of looking at me funny because, you know, she's thinking, I don't know why you're saying these things you're saying. All of a sudden, the cab driver, there's a little window there between us, and he opens the window and he's listening and then he goes could you turn the little tv off so we turned the tv off so i started talking to him and uh, he he said i don't believe in anything i said oh yes you do you believe in yourself if you don't believe in anybody you believe in yourself you believe you're going to get up you're going to drive a cab and make a living he'd been married four times he was looking for a new wife and i said we are both ministers we're not interested <laughs> and he was, but he was listening, and he listened, and I told him, I said, you know, we serve a personal God. I believe in a God that you can call upon him at any time, and I told him, you can call his name, and I'm going to pray for you. His name was, um, oh, and right now I've forgotten it. It was a girl's, Cleo. His name was Cleo, and I said, Cleo, I'm going to pray that something happens to you so real that you're going to know that there's a God, and I said, I pray every, I'm going to pray every day for you. And when I got out of the cab and he gave me my luggage, he said, the greatest thing I've ever had told to me, he said, I wish I had something to give you for what you said to me today. He wanted to give me a gift. And that was my reasonable service. We serve a personal God and we better tell everybody that he's a personal God. I want people to speak to my family that doesn't know the Lord, don't you? I want somebody to minister the, to them where I can. He's a personal God, and I want you to remember that we have an enemy that wants to destroy us. We've got to be alert. We've got to come to church on Wednesday night. I tell you what, I need church. I'm not good enough, contrary to what Stephen believes. I need God, and I need the church. And tonight, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the love that God's lavished on me. I'm thankful that he didn't look down at me and he didn't say, now, Sherry, you've been in this all your life. You're, all right, I'm going to tell you, 56 years old, and you're, you're questioning me. You're questioning what I've done, you know, what's happened, and, and I've told you I will take care of you again and again, and still you're whining, and you're still hurt. He didn't say that to me. He just said one more time, I'm going to reassure her. 
And tonight, if you're here and you need God to lavish his love on you tonight, Brother Newby said that we could have a prayer time down here. I'd like for you to come. I'd like for you to come. I think there's some of you that need his love lavished on you because you know what's going to happen? He's going to do that. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what hurts you have or if you just need a fresh uh, touch. You didn't feel the touch I felt during the song service. Sometimes I've been there with you. I've been there and done that. But I know tonight, if you'd all stand, that God is here. And that God, if he loves me and he's, he's dealt with me with love and compassion, that he will deal that the same way with you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father. I'm